Hi everyone, we are KM Squared and welcome back to Talk Breed. I'm Katie. I'm Maddie. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. Alright, we got a great little podcast for you guys today. For the month of November, as I think many of you know, November is a month where we remember the people who have gone before us and we pray on their behalf. And so earlier in the month on November 1st, it was All Saints Day. November 2nd was All Souls Day. And um, in our last episode, we talked about saints. So naturally, today we're going to talk about, um, more personally, the people that have gone before us in our lives that, you know, really affected us. Um, So we have family members, friends. um, So yeah, that's kind of what is on the agenda today. So let's get started with Katie. Hi, everyone. Katie Stalter here. (laughs) Today, I will be talking about both of my grandfathers, Larry Stalter and David Simmons. Um, I've been very grateful to have gotten to know all four of my grandparents throughout my life, and I'm still graced by the presence of both of my amazing grandmothers. Hi, Grandma and Nina, if you're listening. Today, like I said, I'll be talking about my grandpas, my paternal grandfather, Larry, who passed away in 2013 when he was 76 years old due to Lou Gehrig's disease, also known as ALS. And then I will also talk about my maternal grandfather, David Simmons, who passed away less than a year after my paternal grandfather in 2014 when he was 84 due to heart failure. I should mention that I refer to my paternal grandfather as grandpa and my maternal grandfather as papa so that all of you can follow along with my stories. So, in order to narrate these, like, two loved ones of my life, I'm going to go by phases of my life and how I witnessed both of my grandfather's love during each phase. So I'll talk about my life ranging from birth to about middle school first, followed by my high school or secondary school days, as they say here in Ireland, (laughs) up until their deaths. And then finally, I'll talk about my life following their death um, up until, well, now, I guess. (laughs) So first, let's start with birth to middle schoolish phase of my life where I witnessed their sacrificial love. So both grandpa and papa would do everything in their power to make my brother and I's and my cousin's lives enjoyable. Um, They would take us anywhere and give us anything to make us happy, just as people tend to do for children. Um, And they did this even if they didn't really want to. So they were really formative educationally Um, and in helping my brother and I and my cousins to see the beauty of the world and creation especially. So Papa would always take us bird watching, my brother and I. He let us feed the dog in the backyard and the birds in the backyard, and he bought us a lot of hiking sticks, and he took us to historical sites like Serpent, Serpent Mound in Ohio, and that was still one of my favorite trips to this day. And then my grandpa, um, he would take us to zoo camp every year in Toledo, Ohio, uh, favorite part of the summers. And he would also just have a lot of UNO tournaments with my brother and I and my cousins. And um, he would take the boy cousins on the boat for sleepovers. And then he would take the girl cousins on his boat for sleepovers with a lot of UNO and guess who games. And he took the family on just a lot of boat rides in general. So we did a lot of outdoor things with both of our grandpas and I'm very grateful for that. Um, They sacrificed a lot every time we visited and every time they visited just to see all of their grandchildren happy. And they just sacrificed a lot to be present to us and to help form us into who we are today. 
So that's a little bit about the childhood aspect. And next is my high school phase of life up until their deaths when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. And in this phase, I, I'm going to reference like silent love more than sacrificial love. So as I reached about eighth grade to freshman year of high school, my grandpa, my paternal grandfather, was diagnosed with ALS and Papa's health and physical ability were um, really declining. So it wasn't the grandpa experience that I was used to in childhood. I was witnessing weaker and older people who needed cared for and not as people who were the caretakers and entertainers, so to speak. And as I reflect on both of these experiences of witnessing my grandfather's declining health, I really noticed a similar trend in both love that was so vividly present through silence. So for Papa, as he became older and weaker, he had to use a wheelchair and sat in his favorite favorite chair quite often. I had to learn that instead of go, 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 like going hiking or going to the new adventure spots in Ohio with him and adventure to all these cool places, it was more of a space where I just had to be with him. And most times it would be watching a show, playing a game, and sharing in some conversation about my life and stories about his life. So oftentimes we would just sit in each other's presence in silence, where love was reciprocated less so in words, more so in the physical touch of hugs and sitting near each other. And for Grandpa, when Grandpa was diagnosed with ALS, his experience with the disease was that his vocal ability deteriorated first and then his bodily movements. And it was almost only silence and physical touch where we could express love to one another, because spoken words on his half was not possible. So a a simple hand touch or squeeze, hug or the glimmer of joy or um, humor in his eyes when I would speak to him was the space that I had to receive his love during that last phase of his life. So when I think back to this love and silence for both grandpa and papa, I can't help but think that it prepared me for not only the eerie silence during the last moments of their lives in their hospital rooms where a hand squeeze was the most loving thing we could offer each other. But the silence also prepared me for life after their deaths when I would still have to live a life where they are physically silent in my life each day. So that leads me into now and the silent love that I experience from them now. This experience of silence during their life here on earth helped me to still feel their ongoing presence in silence even after they passed. Sure, they are physically silent and I don't hear their voices, or I can't squeeze their hands or offer a hug to them anymore in this life, but they are still super present and loud in my heart and mind and in the memories thanks to the legacies that they've left on me and my family. So I still learn from Papa in his silence when I look at birds, which hysterically just so happens to be one of my biggest fears, as my friends here know. (laughs) Um, And I still learn from Papa in these moments when I see birds and get scared and I have to remind myself that They're actually really majestic and oftentimes pretty, sometimes, (laughs) and can produce peaceful melodies when watching them. Um, And I still learn from Papa when I hike and see the beauty of mountains and trails and just creation ahead of me and am reminded of how many places and adventures I have yet to see. And I still learn from Grandpa in his silence when I go on boats in deep open waters, which again is one of my top biggest fears. And I have to remind myself of the beauty of life beneath the waters and that boats can actually be a really great place to find peace and take naps, as I learned from my time spent with Grandpa on his boats. I still learn from the both of them in their silence 
by recalling their values that they lived by on earth and trying to live those out loudly myself and by caring for others the way that they cared for me and my family. So I see a large tie between this silence and the silence that we as Catholics often experience in regards to our faith. We believe in this mystery of God that is often physically silent, but we also believe in a man, Jesus Christ, who had so much sacrificial love for us and who left a legacy and a mission for us to live out loudly in our own lives. Um, there's so much power in silence and in silent love, and it's our opportunity to sit in that silence, um, whether that be in God's silence or in our loved one's silence who have passed. Yeah, we just have the opportunity to sit in that silence, grasp what we can within it, learn from it, and spread those values and messages loudly to all that we encounter. That, that's my story, and those are my lovely grandpas. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank, Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I love that you can like find the different types of love, because I say like a lot of people think of like love in different ways and some like with relationships or family or friends and things like that but I don't think enough people can truly appreciate all the different forms of it which is yeah. something that you obviously did which is great thanks so hello everyone I don't know if you know my voice yet but I am <laughs> the other Katie speaking <laughs> so getting ready for this podcast today um, I had to put a lot of thought in who I was going to talk about. I don't think I've lost a, a ton of people in my life, but I've lost enough people in my life to know how much it hurts and how hard it is just to go through that grief and how much like you think about having to go through it again and it, it really stings. And so I was really trying to think about, you know, for what reason am I, am I going to speak about someone or who am I going to speak about? And so I thought about talking about my grandma Kate who I'm named after and was 100% Irish um, because she's actually a big reason for why I'm here now with the House of Bridget in Ireland. Um, and I hope to one day to talk about her and her story because I know that she'd be so overjoyed to know that I'd be here in this country today. I think it would really put a huge smile on her face and I know she's smiling down on me, but I'm going to change courses and I'm going to actually talk about um, my most recent passing of a family member. And I'm actually going to talk about the hardest loss I think I've probably ever experienced. So in July of this past summer, my, my dog Lily passed away. Um, and so this is actually like fairly hard for me to talk about because um, it's still kind of raw. And for people who have had the pleasure of getting to know, in, you know an animal in such a beautiful and intimate way, um, then you will understand this, this loss, this type of loss. But for people who haven't had a pet before, or haven't had a deep bond with a pet and haven't lost them, then I understand that my story may not resonate with you and that's okay. Um, but feel free to listen and maybe learn something from this. Um, so Lily, my, my dear little Lily, um, she was born on April 22nd on Earth Day um, in 2004. And so I remember getting her. Um, she was a little Shih Tzu, she was black with this little white stomach. Oh, she was so cute. And so I remember picking her up, it was the day, the last day of kindergarten, the day after the last day of kindergarten, maybe the first day of summer. And we were actually going to go get Lily's sister, um, who was like, you know, you know, minutes younger than Lily and much smaller. And when we got there, the ladies saw how young my brother and I were. I was like six and my brother was like eight. And they were like, no, 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 we're not going to do this. We're going to give you a bigger dog. So we got Lily. 
Um, and we named her with my, we were in the car with both my parents, my brother and me with, with my grandma, and we named her Lily Rose Wethley. So my last name is, it's a mouthful, but that was her full name, Lily Rose Wethley. And so um, Lily actually lived a very long life. She lived until she was almost 16 and a half years old, which I've actually spoken about the life of my dog to a couple of my friends, and it kind of blows my mind that Lily was older than some of like all of my friends' siblings and still um, who have younger siblings. So Lily was really uh, a sister to me, to be completely honest. Um, and so she, she she was always like just a very noble dog. She'd always be there for you. She, you would walk in the door and she would run laps around you. Um, but she also had like a really big like devilish streak. <laughs> and I think a lot of that has to do with me and the fact that I would want to pick her up every two seconds because she was, what, 11 pounds at her maximum. So she just, you know, when you're a child and you're, you're like, looking at a cute, fluffy dog, you just want to pick them up, um, which I should have let Lily have some space. I just I had a really good relationship with Lily. So about the last, you know, last year or so, um, or over the last few years, she started losing her eyesight. Um, she started using, losing her, her ears. And so in the last, around Christmas time, she was officially completely blind and deaf, actually. And so that made it difficult because she, she was very strong of a dog. Like, she was very, very strong. She started having seizures. And so we really started contemplating, should we pull her down? Is this time? And I was always in constant fear because I didn't want to lose her because I didn't want to go through that grief again. To be honest, I've lost um, a set of both a set of my grandparents on one side, um, and I've lost other family members. But I there was no one I was with every single day of my life that even if I like was a bad kid that would you know snuggle up next to me and lick my face you know. And my parents got divorced when I was young, so there um, she was always there though you know through all of the mess, through the days I couldn't count on. She was always there to just like be there she didn't care what was happening with the family if my parents were yelling or my brother and I were fighting she was always there so anyway I this in in July I won't talk too much but unfortunately we I didn't realize she was outside and so you know everyone was busy coronavirus kind of messed us up and it, unfortunately she was left unattended and um, she was blind and deaf and I'm not going to talk about the way she died but I will just say that um we were just minutes too late, and I found her with my dad, and it. I still think of that image in my head, and it. It makes me want to, like, punish myself because I just feel so bad, you know. Um, but that's not what this is about because I. I think you know even dealing with that grief, you have to really choose to think about the life, because there's so much beauty in her life. Um, and she was such a strong dog. She didn't put up with anything. Like, and I, I said she was a little bit devilish. I mean, she would have her way. <laughs> and um, and it just it made me think after she died. You know, there's so much she taught me. She taught me like even if you're little, you know, you can have you can have a big presence. Like, you know, you, you know, you can go up for after what you want. And um, but at the end of the day, I mean, she was. She was a being. She wasn't a human. So she had her rights and wrongs. But she loved us so unconditionally. And for that, I will always eternally be grateful. Um, and so at the end of this story, I thought I would share a little God wink, um, which is the main reason why I think I wanted to share Lily's story. 
so after Lily died, uh, I kept like, I, I was very mad at God and I kept, it, my relationship with him wasn't great just because I felt so horrible. And, um, and so I actually, it was, my family is, are big believers in cardinals coming or birds and like different signs coming. And so one day my grandma called me and she's like, I saw a cardinal singing right by my door. And she told me it was my uncle Bill coming to, uh, tell us that Lily was okay. Um, because my uncle Bill was a priest and that anyway, that's how she's always believed him coming back to her or God at least allowing, you know, us to have a sign. And so after my grandma told me that, um, the next day I saw a cardinal singing, like sitting right behind, like by my car. I was like, wow. I was like, uncle Bill, is that you? (laughs) And, um, a few days later, my brother and I were talking and, um, and I think I've had a few different signs from Lily. Um, but my brother was like, I haven't had anything yet. Like I'm really upset and he was really struggling. And um, right as we're talking, uh, this cardinal flies up right next to the window, like maybe like at the tree by the window. And following this cardinal was a smaller cardinal. It was a little, it was actually a female cardinal following like following a male cardinal actually. And it was much much smaller. It must have been I don't know how old it was. And it came actually right up right up to the window, and it looked in and like looked it looked like it was looking at my brother. And it was kind of one of those things that was like you know, you couldn't have planned that. Just as he was saying he wanted something. But the last thing I will say is if that is not enough proof that, you know, the people you love are waiting for you and they're okay. I, long story short, my dog, Lily, she would eat pumpkin and chicken every single day because she was spoiled, (laughs) but she liked it. Um, So last, you know, I don't know, autumn time, my dad bought a pumpkin. We had an early frost in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania last year, and he forgot about the pumpkin. And long story it short, long story short, it rotted somehow, and he forgot about it. So none of us thought about it. But this year, I guess the pumpkin must have blown everywhere. Maybe birds took it or something. But this year, right after we buried Lily, we buried her in the front of our yard. Days later, um, we started seeing a pumpkin plant grow up right next to her grave. And within a few days, we had six pumpkin plants surrounding her grave all around. And we've never had pumpkins grow ever. Um, We've never had a pumpkin rot in our front yard because, you know, we're usually a little bit more, I don't know, manicured than that with our It was really cool um, to go out and visit her every single day and see how many, she probably, there were probably 30 pumpkins that grew around her. And it made me realize like, wow, her life, it's okay. Um, she taught me so much beautiful, so many beautiful things. I firmly, 100% believe that she's up there waiting beyond the rainbow bridge, as people like to say, um, and that one day I'll see her again. And I'm just thankful for what she taught me in the, the meantime. That is my story. And if anyone else is dealing with the loss of a pet, know that even though it's not a human, it's not any any less. Um, it, it's still it's still a big deal, and um, they're waiting for you. So that is all. I know I also lost lost a dog over yeah. past quarantine slash summer. Um, and I just thinking of like my mom is going to hopefully be listening to this podcast if she can figure <laughs> out her podcast app on her phone. Um, and I'm, I, I know that that will definitely resonate. And I'm sure she would have loved to have heard that. So from her behalf, thank you. Oh, thank you for saying that. So I can go next. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be talking about... Um, a friend of mine who I lost um, going on two years ago now. It was during my junior year of college. So, yeah, two years ago. Um, his name was Pat. And Pat was uh, incredible. He was just such a, 
like a life force. He was uh, in uh, funny. He was witty. He was very smart. Um, and the one thing, if you ask any of his friends, like one word to describe him, it would always be something along the lines of like of inquisitive. Um, he would ask so many questions, and he's he was by far the best person to get into a deep conversation with, um, whether that's biblical and from a religious or a theological standpoint or philosophical, uh, you can just start talking to him for hours on hours and lose complete track of time and have a complete un, like misunderstanding of everything that you've ever believed in because he can just make you question everything. It was very, at times, uh, tiring and like I have no idea where this conversation is going, but you still enjoy it nonetheless. And then at other times, it's the greatest thing and it's exactly what you need. Um, and another thing about Pat is that he would always, you always see him with a smile on his face, um, and he would always, it's like that smile was just contagious. It would just be around his his entire face, um, so large, and then everyone else who sees him just starts smiling too. And, and if you don't smile, then he'll tell you a very bad corny joke, which would then just make you laugh so hard. So he was a year older than, than I was, so when I came in to BC as a Boston College as a freshman, I like viewed him as this older classman who was so wise and smart. Um, and then as I learned that even as a senior, you still have no idea what's going on in life or college or anything. So, um, but I still viewed him as someone that I looked up to, that I asked questions to about a lot of different things. Um, and so he was in the literature arts group, shout out to LAG at BC, um, but he was in the literature arts group with me and I joined it my freshman year. wasn't a huge fan of the club at first. It was it wasn't really my vibe. I I just kept doing it because I made a couple good friends there, um, and it was it's a church choir for anyone that isn't familiar with the group. Um, so we were able to do some fun music, and I enjoyed playing the music and um, the people. But I, I really wasn't a huge fan of it. I didn't feel like I had a um, a place in the group because um, I was a guitarist. I didn't at that point. Well, still to this day, I'm not the most confident singer, but at that point I wasn't um, confident enough at all to even sing. So I was a guitarist, but there was also like 17 other guitarists in the group. So I felt very, like just in the background, wasn't, didn't feel very important. And so one day I just decided to bring in a ukulele for something else to do and for a little bit of a different noise. And when I walked in, you could just tell that the faces of both the, my director and some of the other people were like, what is this freshman doing? Why does he have a ukulele in church? What is going on? And Pat was the first person to be like, yo, man, that's a ukulele. That's so cool. Um, and he was, he was just everyone's biggest advocate, and he was uh, supporting everyone constantly. And so then the day that he died, he died on a, a Sunday night um, when presumably either during or while or after um, Lag had our Sunday night mass. Um, and we didn't find out about it until the next day, the next morning. And we all, everyone received an email from our director, Meyer, saying to come to his office, um, which was really weird because he has a relatively small office and there's a large group, number of us in the group. So there was about 70 plus people that just all ran to his office, we all heard the news, and we all just broke down in tears. Um, 
because uh, I know I'm sure you guys have felt the same about other clubs or other groups that you've been in, but lag is truly, um, it's so much more than just a church choir. It really creates a bonding and a community and almost essentially like a family. And when you're away from your actual family for so long at college, that they, they really take the place of it. And Pat was, he was literally, I felt that he was my older brother or my fun, crazy cousin or something like that. And a lot of people felt that way in our group. And so when we heard the news, we all just broke down together. Um, and it was hard to not feel a sense of guilt or regret um, just for the fact that you wish that there was one more conversation that you could have had with him or even just like one more word that you could say to him and hear him say back you know it's i think there's a lot that can be learned and i think he would want a lot of people to learn a lot of things about um his death and his cause of death but that's not my place to talk about at the moment but i think it's just important to emphasize that in my opinion what's more important isn't how someone dies it's how they live I, i've always said and i always will say that pat just lived with a smile on his face and spreading that smile and spreading that laughter and joy to everyone and i think that as difficult as a time that it was um and obviously that it was for all of us in lag and even more so for his family and his other close friends i think a lot of positives were able to in a weird and turned around way um, can be developed from it um, and one aspect it's it's at the time when I truly felt at home with lag like I said I wasn't a huge fan of it um, my freshman year I grew a little bit more my sophomore in the first half of junior year but um, when he passed it really brought all of the lag members closer together um, we all felt that we just went through this very traumatic and very sad event that not everyone else understands what we went through. And so we were able to really be there for one another and care and love for each other. And that was a feeling that I've really never felt before outside of my actual immediate family. Um, I've never had people that I truly felt would do anything for me and if I was sad or upset or just having a bad day they would do anything to try to make me feel better and then i know that i would do the same for all of them and that was when that then led me to um, want to continue being a even a higher leader at inlag um, which ultimately led me to being here at the house of bridget in ireland and but other than that um, i became a lot closer within the community both of lag um, Boston College and even um, Pat's family you know we're n we don't keep in contact on a daily basis but his parents were some of the most generous and thoughtful and just you know you, you feel God's presence when you just talk to them email them text them I couldn't even imagine I mean I couldn't imagine the love that any parent has for a child because I don't have any children obviously but I even more than that, I couldn't imagine losing a child. Between Pat's parents, his siblings, um, when when a few of us went to his wake, they were the ones consoling all of us, not the other way around, and and they were truly, you know, truly the images of God's God's creations. 
and I, I wrote a, a poem about Pat and I sent it to to his mom and it was about his um, a, a navy corduroy blazer that he would always wear that we would sometimes give him a, a hard time about because it was a corduroy blazer. Looking back, it was the most incredible blazer I've ever seen. <laughs> I would love uh, to wear a corduroy blazer the way he could pull it off. But uh, I wrote um, wrote a poem about that to and sent it to his mom and in return she sent me his blazer um, and I, I didn't, couldn't uh, fit it in my suitcase to bring to Ireland with me but it is it, one of my most treasured um, items back in back at home um, and we had a memorial mass for for Pat the one year anniversary of his death which by about a week week and a half um, we were in lockdown and it was it was the number one thing that uh, me and a bunch of other people in lag were really upset about with when we had to get sent home because we just wanted to all be together we knew how difficult it was the year before and we wanted to be together um you know in, in the anniversary of it and so we all were like oh this is horrible just at the time we didn't even understand the true validity of coronavirus so we were like this is this is stupid let us just stay here um and in the end i think it was it served pat so much more and i think it's what pat would have wanted because we turned it into a zoom a zoom memorial where we had well over 100 people in attendance that would have never been able to attend whether because they weren't near boston college or they were alumni of 10 plus years that didn't even know pat or they were some of Pat's family members and cousins and distant relatives that we never even had the privilege of meeting before that. Um, and it was something that truly um, both helped to celebrate Pat and his memory, but also brought everyone closer together, which is the same that Pat would have done whether he was alive. You know, he he had that gift of just bringing people together and bringing people into to joy and putting a smile on their faces no matter what the situation is. and. And once again, he, he was able to do that even a year after his death. And finally, I think what, what really was the longest lasting memory for me of due to his death um, was that it, it really taught me to prioritize things. Um, I think up until, up until then, my grades and education was probably the number one most important thing. I would, I would not hang out with friends or would skip a... Um, a club activity because I had a test in two or three days that I needed to start studying for, or I had a paper to write that's due in a couple days or or what, what have you. And obviously your education and finding a career and everything like that is, is obviously important and you, you need it to sustain yourself and your life, but it just really prioritized for me and I think for a lot of other people, just that there's so many more important things. There's there's family and friends and love and and all of all of the things that God create gave us is not you know you can't just overlook that because you don't always have it and so you know I for the next year and a half was when I truly I think found myself at as a student and just as a person I worked hard and I tried to do my best in school but I also didn't you know, forget about my friends and my family and just myself. I, I took care of, tried my best to take care of myself and all of the people that I loved. So, yeah, that's my story. And that's Pat. It's Pat's story. 
Thank you for yeah. sharing. I'm sure his parents, I hope they can listen. I hope so too. How are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish out our stories uh, by talking about my granny. Um, her name was Joan, and her name was Joan Cartwright Madison was her full name, um, Cartwright being her maiden name. So my first name is Madison. You know, it was my, my mom's maiden name, but I always felt like that was a connection to my mom's family in that, um, you know, it, even though my last name's Lofton, it's, you know, that, that first name is a connection to, to my granny and my papa. I just want to talk a little bit about Granny's life um, in Savannah. She was the youngest of four sisters, I think, um, and I, I want to get that right. <laughs> um, but I think she was the youngest of four sisters. When she was young, um, her dad got an ear infection and died pretty soon after. And during that time, like a single working mother was kind of unheard of. And she went to a home for girls called St. Mary's. It was in town in Savannah. So she and her, her closest older sister were raised there. And it was a, a Catholic home for girls. Um, you know, she grew up under the supervision of a lot of, of sisters, a lot of nuns at this, this home with a, a lot of other girls. And I just, my family keeps this newspaper clipping that I've seen a lot where you can see all of the girls gathered in kind of the dining room of that home. And you can pick out my Aunt Betty, who's her older sister, and my granny. And those are the only two that I ever knew. I, I never knew um, her older two sisters. I only ever knew Aunt Betty, who, who's still alive and a wonderful, wonderful, just hilarious person. So that, that was kind of her childhood, and her mother would go visit from time to time, I think like weekly, she would go visit in the home, but it just, it wasn't feasible for her to be working full-time and supporting them and also taking care of them. They couldn't afford childcare. So then in high school, she went to St. Vincent's, which is a high school for girls in downtown Savannah. She was a cheerleader and my grandpa was on the football team of the all boys school. Um, I don't think they met there, but because um, my grandpa's a little bit older than her. And then, so after high school, after she married my papa, they had eight kids together. My mom's the second youngest. Um, she has five brothers and two sisters. So I've got a lot of cousins. Even though I'm an only child, I never really felt alone growing up because I'm really close to the cousins who are my age. I just, when I think about all of the times my family was together, um, for Christmas, Easter, any kind of celebrations, my granny is always there. If it feels like she was kind of the matriarch of our family in terms of everyone just gravitated towards her, everyone adored her, her kids just all loved her. And it's not like she was, she was a pretty stern woman and, you know, would tell you off if she didn't think you were behaving. And, but there was still, just clearly so much love there and I just none of her kids can say a bad word about her like and like I said she she was a strict mom I think like I think she she really like laid down the law in her house but 
they all just love her so much. And um, so that that's what it always felt like. It just felt like you know everyone gravitated towards her at, at family gatherings. She would pick me up from school every Monday and every Friday. And my mom worked full time. And this is kind of the first connection I'm going to draw. I, I like want to talk about legacy when I talk about her. But, you know, her mother, her husband died. You know, my, my granny's mother wasn't able to take care of her kids because in that time she just couldn't. She was able to help my mom raise me after, you know, my parents divorced and then my dad passed away. And my granny was always there, always there to help my mom raise me because my mom worked full time. Also couldn't really afford childcare, but she was, she was always there every Monday and Friday and uh, would pick me up, would take me to go at ice cream usually on Fridays and she would take me home and then do a lot of chores around the house for my mom that she didn't have time to do otherwise and that was like ironing she would it was so funny she would like take our ironing home on Monday and then bring it back on Friday as if she was like a dry cleaning service um and if you couldn't find your clothes you'd be like okay granny's got it at her house she's finishing up the ironing at her house she loved doing yard work, she loved gardening, and my mom hated yard work, and we had a big yard. So my granny did did a lot of the gardening for us and, and the yard work. I think in middle school is when St. Mary's, when I was in middle school, I think that's when St. Mary's closed down. I just, I don't think my granny was like very fond of the experience of growing up there. I think it was hard, but I think she appreciated it. Like I think she appreciated that she was still able to like see her mother and and you know be visited by her mother but i just remember her being really upset when it was closed down when you look at that picture of my granny there were so many girls in that picture like it was probably like 30 to 50 girls um i think there were only like seven or eight maybe when it shut down and that's why they closed it down there just weren't many many girls there anymore but they all went into foster care and I just remember my my granny was really sad about that and um, then in high school I went to St. Vincent's which is where she went I mean she she didn't pass away until later on in high school but I a lot of my teachers were her friends that she'd made in high school a lot of the nuns who they're the sisters of mercy um it's a mercy high school but a lot of her classmates had become sisters of mercy and were now living um over at the convent attached to the school they would ask me how she was doing it was always super funny because um i think there's one sister named sister helen marie and she had a different name when she joined the, the sisters i don't remember her like birth name but She'd be like, oh, tell so-and-so I said hi. And I'd have to be like, oh, who? And she was like, my classmate, so-and-so. And then she'd go, oh, Helen Marie. <laughs> Dang it, it's Helen Marie. And so I would tell Sister Helen Marie that, that my granny said hi. That was just really cool. And, you know, there are, so, there are like old pictures of my granny in the BC cheerleading uniform and, um, you know, pictures of my granny around St. Vincent's. And my mom didn't go to St. Vincent's. It, it was because... Um, my aunt didn't really enjoy it, her older sister, and so my granny decided to put my mom and um, her other sister at a different school for high school, and my mom always just told me how much she 
regretted not going to St. Vincent's and um, how much she wished she had been able to go. And so I didn't even have an option for high school. It was just, you're going to St. Vincent's and I loved it. I wouldn't change that experience for anything. So yeah, my, my granny passed away my junior year of high school. It was a huge shock for us. She had um, cancer and she didn't want any kind of treatment. She, she was in her 70s and she just didn't want to suffer or prolong anything that was already going to happen. She was really healthy up until I think maybe until about a year before she died. She like played tennis every week. She was still like gardening all the time. Like she went on walks every morning with my papa. She just, you know, um, she was very, very active. And so it was just a big shock um, when we found out that that she was dying. And, and we like learned that it was gonna happen. And then we just kind of had to adjust. And I remember having a talk with my mom where she was like, don't act differently around granny. She doesn't want you to. Um, she doesn't want anyone to be acting differently. And I know it's gonna be hard, but just like give her a hug, tell you you love her. And I think I only saw her like once more before she passed and that's what I did. I mean, I gave her a hug, I said I loved her. Um, she was like, I don't know why everyone's acting different around me. Like, and I, we were all trying not to. Um, and then, you know, she, um, she passed away and my mom, you know, wanted me to remember her like that uh, and not her when she was really sick. So after she passed away, um, I lost my faith for a bit. Um, and it always, it always felt like Granny had such a strong faith as in she was like going to, to mass every day. Um, she was just a really devout Catholic. And I, I just was mad. <laughs> I was really mad uh, that she was gone. And um, I didn't, you know, go back and get back into my faith until I was in college. And that's not really what I'm here to talk about, but that, that's a different story. But I feel like if I didn't have that role model of faith, then it would have been a lot harder for me to go back to Catholicism. So I have a few notes written down about legacy because when I went to St. Vincent's, that's a lot of the people at St. Vincent's, a lot of the girls, their mothers and grandmothers, and sometimes their great grandmothers had all gone to St. Vincent's. And, um, you know, we get class rings at the end of our junior year. And the big thing that they always talk about is legacy and how, you know, your class ring, because you only get one option. Um, it's the same as like decades of women who have gone before you. And it's been changed a little bit since my granny had her class ring, but she, you know, her class ring exists somewhere from St. Vincent's and I have that class ring also. And so does my cousin, do my cousins who went there and my aunt who went there. And um, St. Mary's, after it was closed down, was made into um, the, the offices for our diocese. And um, my aunt worked there for, for a long time before she retired. And um, so I would go visit her and they still have that newspaper clipping of, of my granny and my Aunt Betty hanging in the hallway. I just, I feel like every time I go home, my granny is like somewhere in that city 
because she lived there her whole life except for um, she and my papa and uh, the the five older kids moved to Macon for a bit. My mom was born born in Macon, um, but then they moved back pretty soon after. So she was there her whole life. I'm always running into someone who who knows her um, or knows my papa, and by extension knows her. And I think one of my favorite stories. Well, I have a, I have a few, but. Um, my family swears that um, anytime you see a penny or a coin, heads up, that's that's Granny throwing pennies down. Because she used to always tell my my mom and her siblings, she used to always say that the pennies were were from like loved ones who had passed away. And so my mom says it's always like when when she's missing my Granny or when she needs something, that's when she finds pennies and quarters and, and coins heads up on the ground. Another another thing that I I think I'm going to remember for a while, so my mom's not Catholic, but um, when I was studying abroad in Rome, we went to St. Peter's Basilica, and there's a chapel. Um, when you go in, you can go into the right, and Bernini did a lot of the, the like artwork in the, the chapel, but you're not allowed to go in unless you're praying. And so I was like, Mom, I, I, I want to go in here and, and pray for a bit. Is that okay with you? And she was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'll come with you and I'll just sit. And so so we did. And I, I sat in there I and I was kind of thinking about all of this and thinking about my granny and um, about my mom being there. And we went out and like later that night, she we were, I don't remember how granny came up, but my mom was like, you know, even even though I don't, I'm not Catholic, like I don't really believe in this. I, it was really nice because I just sat down and like talked to my mom for a bit. And I, I just, it made me really happy. And over the summer, my mom, um, we were kind of going through jewelry and my mom said, hey, um, do you want granny's rosary beads? And I, I said, yes, I absolutely want granny's rosary beads. So now I have them, and I just feel like I have a little piece of her here with me in Ireland because um, I, I made sure I was bringing them with with me. They're really, really beautiful, and I, I I can like see her praying the rosary in her in her old parish, you know. Um, and I'm just I, I am really, really grateful that I that I have those. So that that feels you know kind of like another piece of her legacy that I'm I'm carrying around with me. Oh, and her name was Joan. That was my confirmation saint. Um, and I have a super strong connection with St. Joan of Arc now. I feel like that's something she gave to me, even though she hated her name. My goddaughter's name is Catherine Joan, uh, named after her, which I also feel like is a cool connection. Uh, I really want a daughter named Joan because I love that name. Uh, so yeah, that's my story. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I love the word legacy. It makes me think of Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> um, for all the Hamilton fans out there. And just like the last song in Hamilton, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. Yeah. Um, I think we all did that today through our stories of not about how people or beings have died, but about their life and everything that they've taught us. Um, and I know we've been learning a lot about Irish culture during this month of November and how much they celebrate the lives of the people who have passed on. I just appreciate how we are doing that. We are carrying on the legacy of those that have gone before us and celebrating their lives and everything they offered. 
think that's really cool. Thank you all thank for you. listening. Um, and thank you just for, you know, listening to the stories of our loved ones. Um, yeah. We, I don't know, at least I feel very blessed that I can have you guys be ears and let me be vulnerable with this part of my life. And I hope it has affected you in some way to, you know, share the stories of, of your loved ones. St. Bridget. Pray, Pray for, for us. us. All right. Bye. We're Bye. KM squared. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>